Here we go. The official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way across our various platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe and follow us wherever you find us with this podcast, rate and review wherever you're getting it currently. This show presented by Symbol, the stock market for sports. More about our partners coming up later in the show. Coming off what was frankly a devastating week for the Marlins on a couple different fronts. They did end it on a high note as we're about to get into. We're on a pretty long streak of these solo episodes from me, so we're going to shake it up a little bit here. Most of the show is not me all alone. Uh, The big second segment of this will be a recording that I did on Locker Room, that app, if you don't already have it downloaded, all sorts of sports conversations uh, that are audio only between quote-unquote experts or just enthusiasts, a great way to get people together and get the audience directly involved in the show. I recorded it with Jake Slobodnik and Nathan Hirsch from Bucks Dugout. That is our Pittsburgh Pirates sister site from Fist Stripes that we just reacted to various things from that series between the Pirates and the Marlins, with the Pirates taking three out of four. Oh boy, a couple of those games, especially um, heartbreaking, in that the Marlins let late-ending leads get away, and then the blowout in the first game, and then the last game, Sandy putting the team on his back. So there's a lot to digest there, but a lot of also big-picture conversation about the state of the Marlins and the Pirates. Before getting into that, I'm just going to do my best to go through quick hits um, from these recent games that really stuck out to me. Uh, sometimes brevity is not my strong suit, but for the sake of time, I'll try to be concise with these points. Then after that, getting into um, the elephants in the organization, um, the fact that this Marlins offense has been mediocre for an extended period of time, and yet Jesus Sanchez, the outfield prospect, continues to light AAA on fire and seem to show all the indications of someone who's ready to make an impact in the major leagues. I'm going to make the case for why his time should be coming immediately, immediately starting on Tuesday. And then after that, shouting out some minor leaguers of the week in the Marlins organization that deserve uh, props for the way they performed in recent series. Uh, The takeaways at the major league level from those games in Pittsburgh Thursday night, Eliezer Hernandez comes off the injured list. First time in two months we got to see him in the majors after a biceps injury. Looked great during his rehab starts. He looked great in this game through five innings, and he even hit for himself in the sixth with the intention of going back out there. And you know what happens. He strained his quad, a really severe strain. I've had a quad strain myself in the past where it nags for a couple weeks and it's just uncomfortable. But this one, it put him on crutches. He was feeling, according to Don Mattingly, a very significant amount of pain. And they decided it was severe enough to not only put him on the IL, but transfer him to the 60-day IL back again where he's ruled out for the next couple months. I bring him up now just because not only does he have all these other injuries in his recent past that have kept him sidelined, 
but this particular one and the severity of it, it's going to cost him a lot of money, millions of dollars in my estimation in the long run. And why is that? Because this is his platform year. This is his final year before becoming arbitration eligible. It's an, a crucial time in your career to put up counting stats, to work a lot of innings, to rack up a lot of strikeouts and wins. He had this golden opportunity to rejoin the rotation. He was virtually going to be unchallenged with a rotation spot for the foreseeable future because, you know, the state of the rotation as it is, that they just have all these question marks at the back end behind Sandy, Pablo, and Trevor. So Eliezer would have made a would have been starting every fifth every fifth game for the foreseeable future. And if he was anything like the guy that we saw um, over the past parts of two seasons, then this is a guy that would have had a lot of success. And that's going to cost him. I mean, he no matter what, he's going to make more than the major league minimum in 2022. Um, but this is a guy that was not a conventional super prospect. He has he really had to work to get to this point and continue to like honing his craft, really missing out on a lot of reps in this point. I mean, best case scenario is he gets back in August and makes maybe nine or ten starts down the stretch in an absolute best case scenario. So I really feel for him. Like this is probably the difference between making seven hundred and fifty grand next year, and making like two million. Like, he, if he was, you know, an above average major league starting pitcher for 20 starts this year, that was kind of the ceiling that he had potentially to for his workload this year, getting over 100 innings, it would have been huge for his platform year. And that trickles forward to 2023 and 2024 and establishes that base that over the long run, this is going to be really costly for him. And it happens, of course, because of no universal designated hitter. Marlins, as an organization, have been very adamant about how they thought that was important to add for this year. I, myself, big advocate, never really understood the appeal of not having hitters that know what they're doing and not protecting prize pitchers. Just a terrible break for Eliezer, so I feel for him. On the brighter side, Sunday, Sandy Alcantara stepped up. The one word that comes to mind for me is just his determination to get through this one, especially at the start. I did not think he had his A game. Like His velocity was great. It was probably right at the top of the scale of what we usually expect from him. High 90s fastball changeups that got to 93-94. Like His velocity was there, but he was not getting the whiffs Swings and misses that we usually expect from him in this one, relying on a lot of ground balls, and that's okay. I mean, that's something he's done very well in his career. He was not on top of his game. He's facing a Pirates lineup that, you know, for all the struggles they've had this year, they've been playing much better recently over the past week or so, even right before this series against the Marlins. And yet Sandy goes eight strong innings, allows one run, and it's an unearned run, an error by Jesus Aguilar. He goes well over 100 pitches. He could have gone into the ninth if they absolutely uh, needed it. That was an interesting... I could understand both sides of that, where with Yimmy Garcia, despite his recent struggles, I don't think there's any reason to panic about him, that him as a choice with a two-run lead, uh, especially going up against kind of the soft underbelly of the Pirates lineup. I felt that was the right move at that time, but Sandy just continues to really 
be everything you want from a top of the rotation type of pitcher. It lowers his ERA to 330. I especially love the matchups against Key Brian Hayes, the Pirates' third baseman. He was so impressive in this series. It was a rookie last year, but we didn't get to see him. There's no head-to-head matchups with the Marlins. It was a pleasure to watch him on both sides of the ball in this series. And he got hits against Sandy the first two times up. The third time up, Sandy blows him away with three straight fastballs up in the zone. And then the fourth time up with Hayes representing the potential tying run in the eighth inning. This was a great sequence. I think it went eight pitches deep. Sandy starts him with a fastball and then goes all secondary stuff, sliders and changeups. And you could see Hayes spitting on a couple just out of the zone and I mean, it took until the that final one that was just placed perfectly to get him to chase and to put him away. So that was that was a pleasure to kind of watch those guys go head to head. To the right side, birdie to second for one, Jazz to first, and another double play. Swing and a miss. Lengthy start from their starter. How about three pitches and a strikeout? Cut on and missed, and Sandy strikes out Moran. And Sandy gets the strikeout. Payoff pitch to Hayes. Swing and a miss. Jesus Aguilar, especially those last two games on Saturday and Sunday, he is so locked in right now. Everything he hits is either a line drive or a deep fly ball, uh, and he's making contact with almost every single swing that he makes. So now up to 12 home runs. And these splits really amuse me that all 12 of his home runs this year are on the road. Nobody in baseball has more road home runs than Aguilar. And nobody in baseball has fewer home home runs than Aguilar. He has not hit a home run at Lone Depot Park. Marlins are going to be betting on him to change that during this upcoming homestand that begins on Tuesday, especially against some shaky pitching staffs. Um, all things considered, he is having a very good year, right? Pretty much last what he did last year, except for more over-the-fence power. He's been great, and it's good to see him locked in uh, for for the time being because he did have quietly that, that slump in mid to late May and up until just a few days ago. So he's, he's flipped the switch again. Great adjustment by him. Uh, another storyline from these same two games is we didn't see any of Garrett Cooper held out for what the team is calling back stiffness. We know Cooper has had all these little nagging injuries throughout his career. You hope it doesn't turn into anything more serious than that. Uh, just to give you a heads up for our upcoming trade proposal Tuesday article, I was sniffing around with the idea of working out a proposal for Garrett Cooper and sending him to an American League team, but that kind of idea is all moot if Cooper is hurt. Fingers crossed that he is going to be available on Monday against the Red Sox so that we could put out that article on Tuesday. Uh, That'd be a buzzkill and force me to run an audible with that trade proposal if uh, this does turn into anything more serious. And one head-scratching element to this team right now, we're of course going to get into a bigger conversation kind of related to this in a moment, I don't understand what the team is doing with Jose Devers. He had uh, he was their leadoff guy for a couple games in this series against the Pirates. He did have that one multi-hit game. He had, uh, yeah, that one two-run double that tied the game. He's had his good moments kind of on both sides of the ball this year as a rookie, as one of the youngest players in all of baseball. That being said, it is painfully obvious that he is not a finished product. The fact that he has now spent... 
he skipped the double A level entirely. He is was only at triple A for parts of two weeks, I think, in between his major league stints this year. Overall, now up to 41 plate appearances, slashing 216, 268, 297. It's kind of what you would expect for a guy that kind of skipped what should have been really a full year at the minor league level this season. I know he's on the 40-man roster, and the team is in a bind without having other healthy infielders on the 40-man at the moment. More on that coming up very shortly. I, I just felt they needed to find another way to figure out this situation while Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson are injured. That Devers is, he's kind of, even though he's in the big leagues, I'm happy that he's getting major league pay. This is bad for his long-term trajectory. He should be playing every single day at AAA. I mean, you look at these AAA games, and no offense to these guys, but they're playing Connor Justice and, um, what is, uh, excuse me, I even forgot this newly signed guy that they just picked up out of uh, independent ball. Galley Cribs Jr. Oh, boy. We've seen Justin Twine get a lot of playing time. Old friend Justin Twine, the former draft pick back in the organization. Eddie Alvarez returns from his Olympic qualifiers pretty soon. These these are all just stopgaps. In fact, I wouldn't be opposed to sending him to double A, where at least he'd be uh, aligned with Gerard Encarnacion and J.J. Bleday and Peyton Burdick, the guys that are actually potential future pieces of the organization, building camaraderie with them and with the pitchers down there. Like a lot of the, the future of this organization is in Pensacola right now, and they, the same way, you know, they don't really have uh, like bona fide middle infielders um, taking up space right now. They they are kind of waiting with open arms for Devers to go back down there. I'd like to see that uh, sooner than later. And on a related note, I'd like to see Jesus Sanchez up in the big, big leagues any day now. Before making my case for Jesus, a plug for our partner, Symbol, the stock market for sports. They've been with us all major league season long here in 2021. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Use your knowledge about MLB, the NFL, the NBA to buy low, sell high, and profit. You go to their site. They have market analysis up there constantly explaining where the market is going how to approach it the right way, what factors to consider. It gets you comfortable the platform real quick. There are now over 2,500 early adopters. What are you waiting for, man? I mean, get invested now. We make it so easy because first investment you make, use the promo code FISHSTRIPES. You get a $10 deposit bonus right away. www.simbull.app. You go there, make your deposit, promo code FISHSTRIPES, so they know we sent you, and you get your bonus right there. The current Sim Marlins share price is down to $30.49. I told you that was coming if you read our analysis on FISHSTRIPES.com about the Marlins and the state of the NL East. Go to Symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, get your bonus, help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know, invest in sports. The case for Jesus Sanchez to be back in the big leagues. We know we saw him cup of coffee in 2020. It did not go well. He got injured at the start of spring training this year, and but was healthy enough to rejoin AAA Jacksonville in time for their regular season, and he's been raking ever since. Even coming off a rare hitless day on Sunday, he is at 374 batting average, OPS in the quadruple digits, 
1,114. He's tied for second in all of minor league baseball this year with 40 hits. The splits are hilarious. He is the same guy at home and on the road. He's the same guy against righties and against lefties. His consistency is surreal at AAA. For a guy who had played in AAA in 2019, but only for a partial season. You know, this is not a total repeat situation, and he is a lot younger than most of the competition he is facing. Still just his age 23 season for this guy. In fact, he's younger than everybody he's facing. He's had one game, three plate appearances in 2021 against an opposing pitcher who was actually younger than him. I mean, a couple things that stick out about him is that he's not a center fielder. Even this year, he hasn't played center field for one moment, just right field, left field, occasional DH. So that's a limitation, I guess. But this guy is, he's showing he has nothing left to prove in the minors. And the opening on the majors is so apparent because even coming off this latest win, this Marlins offense is not good. They're relying so much on Starling Marte on Jesus Aguilar, on the occasional Jazz Chisholm Jr. He, he's been looking better lately, and fingers crossed that Jazz's uh, foot issue is fine after getting hit by a pitch on Sunday. He did a good job trying to shake that off. That's eh, There's not really a whole lot else to this offense besides those guys for the time being. Where does Sanchez fit in? Uh, so for me, I'm on the same page with Alex Carver from Fish on the Farm. Uh, we're kind of in lockstep about this, that the most expendable guy on the Marlins active roster right now would have to be Magnera Sierra. He's, yes, you've heard, he's out of options. He's been out of options the last couple of years. He's only 25 years old, but he's just stagnated, you know? I mean, he's been better in 2020 and in 2021 than he was his first couple of years in the majors, but that's not saying much. Really low bar to clear. We know he has zero power whatsoever, a big key to him last year that got people really excited um, when he was kind of forced into action as a semi-regular player is that his base running was so disruptive for the opposing team. He made such creative and aggressive decisions that almost always worked out. That hasn't quite been the same case this year, even though he is getting on base at you know a 30% clip. It's not a disaster, especially for this team. He's just, but he's not doing much with those opportunities, and the upside just is not there because of the lack of a hit tool. He doesn't work very deep counts. Um, he, d- he doesn't really do a whole lot of little things that add up to winning. He's playing great defense in the outfield, but I feel he's redundant right now. I mean, the Marlins, as of this recording, they have Lewis Brinson and Magnaris Sierra on the roster at the same time. Why? I mean, these guys are, we've seen these guys, especially Brinson. You know, Brinson's much longer sample, much larger sample size. I've been clear about my thoughts about Brinson that I would have, you know, turned the page on him months ago, even before spring training started. That's, but between those two, I think Brinson is a little bit more complimentary to their current personnel because at least he has that power potential. Um, finally back from the injured list, just missed hitting a home run in Pittsburgh, I think on Saturday, that hooked foul. So, I mean, that alone is something that Sierra could never dream of, all hitting the ball that went home run distance. Uh, so, Brinson, Sierra has, you know, comparable offensive numbers this year, comparable defensive performance this year. Um, but with Brinson, at least the power tool is there. He's a guy that makes more sense as a pinch hitter for the pitcher spot. You know, Sandy is not going to go... He's not going to be starting every game and not going eight innings every single game. So you need pinch hitters almost all the time. 
And uh, Brinson is someone that has a lot more value in that capacity. He has a minor league option remaining. Uh, so yeah, even if things go really poorly, if there's a certain roster construction that makes more sense as the year goes on and you send him down, it's no big deal. Uh, I would definitely lean towards keeping Brinson over Sierra. Uh, well, now, frankly, the team would have to look in the near future about taking two of those position players off the roster at the same time, because right now they have 13 position players and 13 pitchers, and that's only because they have this void in the back of their rotation in the aftermath of those injuries to Eliezer and to Cody Poteet. So pretty soon, I imagine they'll actually be looking at downsizing an additional position player. I would think that you want to keep either one of Brinson or Sierra to be, um, on there, but not even those guys are not necessary when we've seen how obviously Starling Marte looking exactly like the guy he was before his injury. And now Adam Duvall had all that time to prove himself as a very viable backup defensive center fielder. So, I mean, there's a scenario where you DFA Sierra and you option Brinson at the same time. As I teased earlier, my proposal coming up for trading Garrett Cooper potentially to the American League that would free up a roster spot. As well, if you know, get rid of one of those outfielders and uh, send Garrett Cooper in a place where he fits in better. You know, more on that coming up on our site. Uh, but also in the infield, of course, I already alluded to that earlier with Jose Devers, how he, you know, he shouldn't be up here right now. It's not fair to him. He should be playing every day in the minor leagues. And um, as long as Isan Diaz, they believe he can play both second base and third base. All right. Yeah, fine. I mean, I'm not too high on on Isan, uh, but there are some underlying things with Isan's batted ball data that suggest that much better times are ahead and that he's been very unlucky. Uh, He makes a lot more sense than Devers, and I don't think you need both of them at the same time if Jazz could play shortstop and Birdie can fill in anywhere if needed. So, yeah, probably the top of my preference list would be once they go back to a 14-man pitching staff is that you option down Devers, and you cut the cord with Sierra. And again, this is to bring up Jesus Sanchez, who has incredible raw power, who has improving plate discipline that he's shown so far this year in the minors. He's an impactful bat. I, you really, this is such an important time to find out what you have in him. The year back on the ninth of the month. Breaking ball, swinging a high fly ball into right, going back on the warning track. Nevid, does he have a play? No, it carries and it's gone. And Jesus Sanchez has done it again. Adam Duvall gets squeezed into kind of a bench roll or more of a platoon in left with him and Corey Dickerson. I think that's really uh, the ideal situation is having those two kind of split time. You need to start making decisions about what this team looks like. Um, for 2022 and beyond, you know, this is no longer a situation where you you have your foot on the gas trying to win every possible game. I, I don't think, I think this is, we've reached that inflection point where they need to start balancing that, balancing the near, t- the immediate uh, gratification of winning and the long-term goals. That's simply, uh, they're undermanned with all these injuries that have finally kind of added up all at the same time at several key areas and the, they're, pretty passive approach to the offseason has caught up to them. You know, it's tough luck, but we got to kind of acknowledge where they are. And uh, excuse me, pardon me for my disorganization on this. I mean, the, the big impetus for why I'm bringing up Jesus Sanchez at this time is because 
from my understanding, on June 8th, on Tuesday, is the first day that when you call him up, um, it delays his service time just enough so that the Marlins will have club control of him extended through the 2027 season. Uh, Arm Layden, if you listen to Locked On Marlins, he went through this conversation uh, a few days ago after consulting with me about it, where Jesus Sanchez picked up 33 days of service time in 2020. He picked up, I believe, 19 days of service time earlier this year when he was on the major league injured list, got healthy, the Marlins optioned him, it stopped his service time clock, paused it at 52 days, and if they hold him down um, until, you know, Tuesday, by the time they bring him back up, he'll have a maximum of 170 days of service time in by the end of 2021. And that's such a key number because when you get to 171, it rounds up and counts as a full year of service time. But by very carefully threading that needle on that threshold and capping him at 170 days uh, to get to by the end of this year, it ensures that this, this still does not count as a full year of service time, and he has still six full years remaining because that's how free agency is. Six full years of service time, you become an unrestricted free agent. I don't think this is a coincidence. You know, when I spoke about Jesus a few weeks ago, how it made so much sense to call him up for that road trip uh, going through the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, when you would have the designated hitter, they declined to do so. They lost all those games. Whoops. And uh, as, like, digging deeper, the only theory that really comes to mind is that potentially service time is at play, that they're so confident in him at this point in the adjustments that he's made. When they bring him up, they expect him to stay, and they want him to stay for that extra year through 2027 instead of through 2026. So um, I'm recording this uh, on Sunday night. I'm pretty sure you're not going to see him call him up, uh, called up on Monday. There's a very particular reason for this because it's on Tuesday that that service time threshold, that's when that becomes a factor for Jesus Sanchez. As If they don't call him up on Tuesday, then I think this is a topic that we need to start questioning pretty much every single day. As, as a Marlins community, is why he's not up here. He has nothing left to prove, and there are creative ways, as I outlined, to insert him into this active roster that makes sense. So we close out this first segment with my minor league, mar, my minor league, my Marlins prospects of the week. Uh, for a change, uh, Jesus Sanchez does not quite make the cut this week. A lot of good stories in the Marlins farm system instead. Starting on the pitching side, this is why I wait until the very end of the week before recording this, because the last game that anyone in the organization played this week was Double A Pensacola against the Mississippi Braves at Double A, and Jake Eater, the Marlins' fourth-round draft pick from last year, got the start. Uh, there were high expectations for him. He's been incredible all year, and this was as good as we've ever seen him because he was perfect. He was literally perfect. He faced 15 batters. He retired 15 batters, and he struck out the majority of those guys, eight of the 15. It was a pleasure to watch that fastball, that breaking ball that he has. He had a, a one inning where he threw 12 pitches, all of them strikes. The efficiency in this outing was crazy, and it made me expect that they would send him out for the sixth inning. He had a perfect game working. That's the one knock on his year. So not, not a knock. I mean, it's by design that they have not pushed him past five innings yet. I'd be very curious to see when they finally change that. He was perfect. Honorable mention to his teammate, Max Meyer, who I think wrecked up eight or nine strikeouts in his outing 
earlier in the week. Also, Braxton Garrett had a nice outing at AAA. You may be seeing him in the majors in the very near future to help the Marlins fill out that rotation. And Marlins hitting prospect of the week, shortstop Nassim Nunez from Low A Jupiter. Played in every single game this week. He recorded hits in every game this week. In most cases, more than one hit. Let me make sure I got these numbers right. In June, in these six games that he played, he went 12 for 27 at the plate as their leadoff guy. Batting 444 this week, uh, stole one, two, three, four bases? Or is it more than that? At least four bases. He continues to be among the minor league baseball leaders. Any affiliation, any level in stolen bases this year, although he did get caught also four times this week alone with Nassim. He's a fun guy. And uh, Jupiter played a pretty solid series against Palm Beach in in this one. And he only, Nassim only struck out a couple times during this week as well. You know, the overall offensive numbers for him are underwhelming because it doesn't hit for any power whatsoever, but he does draw his walks. He gets his singles. Um, He even forces the defense to make more mistakes than usual, reaching on errors. That is a skill. And for a guy that is a plus runner, some people would say a plus plus runner, um, he really makes a big impact out there. So that's nice to see him because one of the younger guys with that affiliate um, this year playing full season ball, expected to stay there for most of the year. An honorable mention to Troy Johnston, who began the year in Jupiter, but showed pretty quickly that he was overqualified. He's, he's, he was older than the league average, and his offense production was outstanding in Jupiter. He earned a promotion to, Clint, to Clinton, to Beloit this week. Hi, A. Beloit, and he had a pretty terrific week for himself up there in Beloit. He's, he's an on-base machine, and he's piling up extra base hits as well. A super late-round draft pick in that same draft class as Nunez in 2019, and he has, I think, pretty clearly exceeded expectations so far. Another favorite of Alex Carver from Fish on the Farm. So I'm sure he'll be happy that we mentioned Johnston on here. That will wrap it up for this first segment. You know, most of this show is now bringing in some new voices, as I said, from Buck's Dugout, the Pirates site. We discussed, you know, the series in more detail that these teams just played and some big picture questions regarding your Miami Marlins. Enjoy. The Marlins got a really great pitching performance out of Sandy Alcantara, and they won. And right now, we have... uh, Eli Sussman of Fish Stripes, a part of SB Nation. Eli, how's it going? It's, well, when the team wins for the first time in 11 days, it, it's going pretty good. Uh, thanks for inviting me, guys. Of course. We're pleased to have you on. Um, yeah, the Marlins were struggling a little bit there. Uh, they're now 25 and 33. How many? They lost, what, eight straight? Yeah, it was their longest losing streak uh, in more than six years. The last time they had a losing streak this long, they fired their manager and they replaced him by putting their GM as their manager. I don't know if you guys remember that, where the Marlins took their GM out of the front office and turned him into their manager. 
And that's where we were the last time there was a losing streak like this. So it evoked some very painful memories, and it's good to finally move move past that. Yeah, they got a nice win today. I will say uh, the Marlins do have a very young and exciting team uh, right now. Jazz Chisholm Jr., is, he's awesome. And then that young pitching staff is really nice. The Marlins, it seems like they're they're doing a pretty nice job with their rebuild, if you will. And then got some former Pirates there, too, that we love in Starling Marte and Corey Dickerson. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot to, to unpack there for sure. Um, I guess, well, what's been so strange is that this losing streak has coincided with Starling returning from the injured list. He was been out for more than a month of the year after fracturing a rib, and he had been their best overall player for the first few weeks of the season. They missed him pretty dearly, and yet he came off the IL, and he was immediately you know, back to his old self, back to being just an exceptional all-around player. He's a pending free agent for the first time, so I think that's part of the motivation that he's playing the best of his career. And it was crazy that they just have not been able to win a game for more than a week with him in the lineup almost every day. And uh, he had a couple of key plays in this one. He had the there was that ball in the left center field gap, really deep that he ran down. I think that was to end one of those middle innings and to keep uh, Sandy Alcantara still really efficient with his pitches. So that added up. I mean, there's still a lot of concerns about this Marlins team, even with those key individuals you mentioned, because they've got issues on the left side of their infield. They have, as you saw, um, some uncertainty with their bullpen all of a sudden, and uh, their rotation depth is a mess. If, if we want to talk about that, it's that's kind of crazy, most of all, that they've made it this far into the year with basically three starting pitchers. Yeah, and they have uh, Sixto Sanchez. I'm, I'm not sure when he's returning, but he's he's really nice as well. Uh, it's fun to watch him pitch. I really enjoyed – I will say this about the Marlins. I really enjoyed last season when they uh, kicked the Cubs out of the playoffs, and uh, that was that was fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was extraordinary achievement for this team. I mean, it, it's – when you're – 17 years removed from making the playoffs, and most of those years the team didn't even sniff 500. Uh, every little milestone that they reached last year was significant. Uh, making the playoffs was a big deal, but uh, it was almost just as important to advance in the playoffs like that, especially when they were underdogs in that series. They were led by their starting pitching in that series. And I mean, most people didn't really expect them to beat the Cubs. You know, the Cubs just had so many of those familiar names. And the expectation was they would just keep doing kind of what they've been doing the last half decade. So that was, yeah, that was crazy. Um, that was the peak of probably enthusiasm around the team is those cup that day and day and a half really celebrating that milestone. For sure, for sure. Um, Jake, we got Brian Hayes back, and uh, it was very exciting to watch him play. What did you think about his series overall and the Pirates overall this series? Well, I will say, I remember us talking about it after the last series, um, and we both made mention that once Key Bryan came back, we were going to definitely see a big momentum change in this team, and I think that I, I think that exceeded be, like way, any expectations that we had. This team just looked like looked a lot different in the positive note when Key Bryan came back. They got another, they got their hot young prospect back. Uh, his their offense, it was spectacular to say the least, and. Um, his, they, I'm sure that his glove was missed on the corner of the infield. So, uh, really, his return really fueled this Pirates team. I think to really uh, win this weekend, and I think uh, 
going forward, I think that's what we're going to keep seeing. I think we're going to see that this team is energized by him, that this young, uh, this young leader, if you will, is back and leading the team. Uh, and there's no more, I guess, gaps to fill in, in, for, in terms of leadership and uh, overall talent on the field. Um, so I think that had a lot to do with this weekend and with his bat. He was very hot offensively. I mean, we saw a home run in his second game back. He had multi-hit game his first game back with a triple. Like, it, it was almost like he didn't miss a beat after missing almost two months on the IL. So it, it was just spectacular to watch, uh, honestly. And I, I hope that we see more of this going forward, um, especially with a tough competition like the Dodgers coming up. But um, overall, I, I think this team just looked so much better and more comfortable with Key Bryan back. He looked comfortable be, to be back. And, um, yeah, uh, overall, my impressions of this weekend were just they, – I know I, don't, I haven't said much nice about this, about this team on the podcast, but I have lots of nice things to say about this weekend. So that's my impression. Yeah, yeah if I could hop in there, I was – this is a pleasure to watch him play because obviously these teams did not meet last year with the regional schedule. So I've seen Kip Bryan's stats from last year, and I understood all the elements of his game and exactly why people thought he was – as exceptional as he was, why he was kind of that consensus preseason NL Rookie of the Year pick. He was breathtaking in this series. And I thought I was nervous in that eighth inning. He came up in the eighth inning representing the potential tying run against Sandy Alcantara. And Sandy was still pretty much on top of his game, still throwing 93-mile-per-hour change-ups and all that. And uh, (laughs) even when he got two strikes on Hayes, it was one change-up after another that was well-located in Hayes either – spat on it if it just missed the zone or he was fouling it off and finally he throws one that's just good enough to to finish him off but overall I, I guess Hayes for the series probably hit like 500 and the, the defense as well I mean there was one play that sticks out to me that it didn't even look that hard for him but it was a play like way to his left side that was so effortless and it's just from watching him up close finally I mean I've checked in on him obviously as a big baseball fan uh, the games that he played before his injury and last year, but this was a treat just to see him every single play for four games of him. He's pretty special. And yeah, I'm curious about what you guys still think about his rookie of the year chances, because now he only has what six games under his belt, but if he stays healthy the rest of the way, he'll play about a hundred uh, fingers crossed things go well. It just, I mean, his talents is, it, I mean, as someone that watches jazz Chisholm jr. Every day, um, with all due respect to Jazz, I don't think it's really a contest that that Hayes Hayes is, just jumps out as an even better all around talent. He's amazing. I, I think he still is a guy that it's going to come down between someone like Trevor Rogers on the Marlins, who um, obviously pitched pretty well in this series as well. But I think as long as if anybody's going to like catch Trevor from behind, I think it would be somebody like Hayes. He is he's got amazing potential. Oh yeah, definitely, and. Um... You know, you guys have a lot of young talent over there yourself. I wanted to jump in earlier, but um, you guys were just going with the conversation. But I want to flash it back to all the young talent that the Marlins have. Uh, one thing I want to highlight is uh, we mentioned Jazz Chisholm, but we also mentioned some of the other young talents on uh, the Marlins, such as Trevor Rogers. You know, he just came out of the woodwork and is making his case known for a Rookie of the Year candidate. Um, I was talking with. Uh, another Marlins writer earlier this year, Craig Mish on another show that I do. And he highlighted the young talent a lot and said that there's a lot of potential for the years to come for the Marlins. What's your take on the stars besides Rogers and Chisholm about how they're going to 
really lead this team going forward. Now, obviously, we have the younger or the older talents like Jesus Aguilar, who had himself a fine weekend this weekend. Uh, but uh, with Sixto coming back and then all the other young talents that the uh, Marlins have acquired in their rebuild, uh, what does this say about the future that they have going forward on top of the young leaders they have now? Yeah, it's been a fun start of the year. Uh, you know, Before this losing streak, it was kind of encouraging at the major league level. And even during this losing streak, on, on the minor league level, um, it's been exceptional. Where it's like some of their consensus top prospects, like Max Meyer, their first-round draft pick, he's been as good as advertised in the minors. Uh, Jesus Sanchez and Lewin Diaz, former top 100 prospects, they're playing great at AAA, knocking on the door. But even beyond that, it's been so many pop-up prospects as well already in this short minor league season that get you really excited. Like as we're recording this, Jake Eater is about to make his next start at double A and he's been arguably the most dominant minor league starting pitcher so far this year. A guy that was picked all the way in the fourth round this past year that uh, there's a lot of confidence in the pitching, obviously because we've seen it translate to the major league level with Sandy Alcantara, with Pablo Lopez, hopefully now with Sixto Sanchez, once he gets healthy, uh, Trevor Rogers being the best example because he was totally drafted and developed by the organization that there's so much confidence in the pitching and all the waves, even though at the moment, as I kind of hinted at, uh, they have a big issue right now with their current rotation depth at the moment, but hopefully that clears up within the next few weeks. And then certainly for the next few years beyond that, they're in great shape with their pitching staff in, in every sense of the word. But it, the question is with the offense, because they are really being carried a lot by those veterans that are kind of year to year with Jesus Aguilar being the best example. He is beloved in the clubhouse and by the fan base. And he has kind of surprised people by playing even better this year than he did last year. But he's a first base only guy um, who you just go year to year by. Um, those guys do not age well, even though he, he's made some fun changes to his diet this year. Uh, hoping to add some longevity, but guys with at his position with his body type, they just have those uh, limitations. Uh, Starling Marte, I referenced him. He's been awesome, but he's a pending free agent. They, they're going to have to pay a kind of contract that they've never paid for anybody since the ownership change if they're going to hold on to him. So uh, with those questions, uh, with Corey Dickerson about to be a free agent, Adam Duvall likely going to be a free agent, um, they have – those are the guys that have been so important uh, for the most part, aside from Chaz Chisholm Jr. So many of these position player, young position players have been busts at the major league level. Some of them, the sample is still too small for you to kind of dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but almost everybody that has even gotten an opportunity outside from Chaz has not gotten the job done at all. And that's kind of the biggest, con- well, the two big concerns around the team are one about spending money because they reduced payroll heading into this year. And it's kind of unclear exactly how aggressive they'll be in free agency moving forward. Uh, so that's one. Um, even though they have a new TV deal, they have new revenue streams. They really don't have any excuses not to spend, but we'll see if they actually do it. And then the other one is just, yeah, about making these hitters actually translate to the majors because there have just been so many of these examples where it just has not panned out uh, for whatever reason. And so the question is whether they finally get a few of these guys to stick, such as Jazz, and when they call up, in the next wave later this year, we should be seeing Jesus Sanchez and maybe Lewin Diaz and a few others. Um, but if those guys don't stick, then they, they're in a position where they'll have to make some very interesting tr- deals potentially to trade away their surplus of pitching to get other position players that other organizations have already properly developed. That's the big uh, question mark moving forward. And we'll probably 
it's a bigger question really for the off season than right now, but still it's something that I think everybody is focused on right now among the Marlins community. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this about uh Starling Marte. So the, Marlins, they're kind of in a position right now where the trade deadline, they could potentially deal him to get something back, or they could try to extend him after the season. Like you said, he's a free agent. What kind of deal do you think that Mar- Marte might get? I mean, he's 32 right now. I wouldn't expect like more than four or so years, but how, how, how much do you think he'll get on the open market? Just curious. Yeah, well, well, Jake mentioned uh, Craig Mish, who I, we kind of correspond with every single day. He's a great Marlins source. And early on in the year, he speculated that if Starling was playing at this level he's currently playing on, it would be yeah, a four-year deal, potentially north of $75 million. That seems a little bit of an overreaction because of just his track record prior to this year. Is he hasn't been quite as an elite offensive player. If he keeps it up at this level, I mean, if he is – you know, 40, 50% better than the league average at the plate. If he's getting on base and hitting for power uh, and, you know, doing everything else he does, then maybe it is in the realm of possibility that he gets in the high 70s or 80s million dollar range, uh, something like that. There's a long way to go, you know, because of his age, because of the history of guys deep into their 30s just not sticking in center fields. He's been playing exclusively center field since the Marlins have had him these parts of two seasons. Uh, but, I mean, as the Pirates know, he played a lot of left field for them. And I imagine that that's where he'll be going back to at some point during the length of his next contract. And the Marlins would be fine with that because they just, all these young outfielders that they have, some of them have great tools and like great scouting reports. And to this point in the season, some great results in the minors as well. But they just have not, you cannot trust them in the majors at this point. So Marlins really have questions at every outfield spot for the moment. And so they'd be thrilled to have Marte in there uh, somewhere. But there's going to be that temptation, as you mentioned, at the deadline. Uh, so many teams are going to be inquiring about him. Um, I, I mean, to me, I think it's a fairly simple – well, it's, it's not simple. It kind of depends, of course, on how the team performance does. Um, we'll see exactly how much they level things out. Like, I don't think I, – I didn't really – phrase it this way so far on this chat, but this has been a pretty devastating week for the team. I mean, it's great that they finish off with a win, but that's their only win in this entire week. And they have these so many questions about their current roster that it's just hard to imagine them even flirting with 500, having any sort of interesting thing moving forward. I think, I feel like they've kind of played their best baseball already and it just has not made a whole lot of difference, even in a pretty mediocre division to this point. So there's just, I think it's relatively clear that there's just not a whole lot riding on this current season, which is going to lead to the temptation of maybe flipping Marte. It's just that we've seen recently in baseball that these guys on the final years of their contract, no matter how good they are, you just don't get very much in return. Yeah. That's, that's the thing is that no matter what, uh, even if they create a bidding war among different teams, you're not going to get a big package for anybody that is on an expiring deal. Like, like he is it's so i frankly at this moment it's hard to really see what direction uh they're going to go um i have to double check my understanding because this is an expiring collective bargaining agreement i think they still do have that option of making a qualifying offer to him after the year um where, which i feel like would almost be the equivalent value of what they would actually get in a trade if they traded him during the year uh, these, it's a lot of questions. It's a murky situation, um, and I imagine it's one that they're going to kind of hold out on 
as close to the deadline as possible. So that's kind of the easiest answer is that this is going to probably go down pretty close to the deadline in terms of deciding how to play it with Starling Marte. I want to do. I will say this about Starling Marte. I uh, I just looked up his stats, and it's only been about a hundred plate appearances. But it blows my mind that uh, right now he's a twelve point four walk rate. His career marks at about five percent. But yeah, he's he's got potential to be a three hundred, four hundred, five hundred guy this season. His on base right now is four oh two. Once again, that blew my mind because with the Pirates in general, he always was um, kind of. He didn't have a bad on base per se. I mean, his career on base percentage is three forty two. That's nothing to uh, complain about. But he was always kind of um, he just really didn't draw that many walks, to be honest. But this year, I mean, that paired with his hit ability in general. I mean, he's always been a really good hitter, and I was reminded watching this series just how damn rangy he is out there in center field still at this age it's really impressive to watch so i definitely will be interested to see what happens with starling Marte whenever it's time for him to uh to get a new contract there's a lot of enthusiasm among the fan base to to bring him back for sure i mean what i'll point out is that the marlins their payroll outlook is tremendous, all things considered. The biggest obligation on their payroll moving forward is, believe it or not, it's money they owe the Yankees for Giancarlo Stanton. They, <laughs> still, owe, they still owe $30 million on the back end of his deal that gets paid in the middle of the decade. And um, that that contract alone is more than the, the total value of all the actual player contracts of their own players that are on the books beyond this year. They could go in so many different directions I mean, they do have some guys that are coming up on arbitration finally and will be getting some decent raises from that. But they still have so much wiggle room um, if they want to go after almost any individual player they they desire. And someone like Marte, he's, he's going to cost more money than they've, they've spent on free agents in the recent past. And uh, one thing that Craig Mish did uh, bring up on, I think, his own podcast recently is the potential concern that because the Marlins – paid Corey Dickerson uh, a couple a two year seventeen point five million dollar deal and that so far has not really worked out the way they were expecting. His power has totally disappeared each of the last two years. That yeah. that may make that may make them kind of apprehensive about spending uh in free agency uh, even a much larger total for a guy when, you know, they've tried that, it didn't work out. With with Adam Duvall it was a much smaller investment, but so far with him it's been a really weird year where he's been exceptional defensively and he's been driving in a lot of runs, but he just doesn't get on base enough uh, whatsoever to make it like a really consistent offense that overall with these free agent moves they've made so far, the, the kind of mediocre results may make them shy away a little bit from bringing anybody back. But of course they kind of know Mark, they have this luxury of knowing Marte pretty well at this point from having him down the stretch last year, uh, having him around in the playoffs, even though he got hurt in the playoffs and then around uh, this year. So it's, it's it's a really fascinating question. Probably another wrinkle to it is if they do trade him, would he consider actually coming back as a free agent even after that happens? You know, we've, yeah. that, that has happened a couple times in recent baseball history, um, but obviously not with the Marlins in that situation. That would be, you know, the best of all worlds, I guess, because as I already said, you know, this losing streak really dashed a lot of the goals they had for this season. It's just hard to really see that path to being even like on the outside of playoff contention that, yeah, the best of all worlds would be to to trade him uh, and to get a lot in return and then sign him uh, at a deal that everybody's comfortable with. But yeah, it's really hard to thread that needle. 
Yeah, I feel that as a uh, as a fan of a team without the luxury of spending a dime, I I definitely feel that. Uh, shifting back to the Pirates a little bit, I do want to say Brian Hayes. I mean, he's played six games. He's already fifth on among Pirates position players in F four at a zero point four. So that's pretty hilarious. Um, I'll say too, it is it's nice, it's refreshing to see that the Pirates have a pretty decent top four now with Colin Moran back in their lineup. And even if you want to say top five with Stallings in there, it's, it's nice to see the pirates have a major league offense right now at this point. Jake, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Um, it is nice to see. It's definitely a good change of pace, especially as you mentioned, it's for a franchise that really doesn't spend much on the team uh, to get the production from at least half of your lineup is something that, I think not many people, if you were to go up and tell them that, I feel like they'd laugh in your face, but it's good to see that happen. Um, especially with Key Brian back, I just think it's going to keep going up. Um, as far as, say, like Stallings or Moran, that's a big question mark because Stallings, he's not that consistent hitter that could, I, I guess, that could really go out there and, you know, improve his individual bore. Um, but, I mean, he delivers in the clutch, which. Yeah. might have a skewed effect on it, but um, overall, I, I'm glad to see that Key Brian Hayes is back, and I don't think it should come as a shock to most people that his F war is already <laughs> is already like right there with uh, all the top players on the team. I mean, we kind of knew this going in. Yeah, uh, we got a speaker request right here, Garrett. Garrett, what is what's going on, man? What's, go- um, what's going on, Nathan? What's going on, Jake? What's going on? Um, Eli, um, I was listening for a bit. Um, I wanted to wait before I before I decided to hop in here. Um, the like I said, both obviously both um both of these teams unfortunately probably aren't going to finish the season above five hundred. But um, they like w- um as uh, Jerry mentioned in the chat. I mean, they meet um later on this season in September, and I think like you're gonna see like a ton of young talent um on that field. Uh, because like because normally as most teams who are out of like who are out of the race. By late in the season, they're playing a ton of their young talent that they've that they've had on the farm uh, for either either for a couple years or for most of the season. But um, I, um, Nate, I'm not sure if it was you or Jake that brought that brought up um Corey Dix or maybe Eli who brought it up. But I think if the Marlins decide not to like trade um Starlin and maybe try to re-sign him in the offseason or whether they trade him and then re-sign him, you know, whichever they prefer, would that um would I mean? Would the Marlins one consider trading Corey Dickerson and maybe just trying to recoup some of the value that they haven't got out of him, and just maybe try to maybe get one of their young guys, one of their young outfielders who are um, who are uh, who are who are coming up? And for you, Nathan, since I think you cover the Pirates here, um, mm-hmm. how like how many abs or games or whatever do you think it'll do you think it would take if like if he has any for Colin Moran? Do you think for him to maybe? Um, be able to at least accrue enough trade value where the pirates can where the pirates probably definitely consider trading him come the July third first trade deadline, if not beforehand. Yeah, Eli, I'll let you take that first one first. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the dream. The dream for them would be to flip Corey Dickerson to get something in return. I just don't think that's realistic right now because you know last year he was shaky. Last year, even his defense was kind of uncharacteristically shaky for a guy that kind of recently won that. National League Gold Glove, as you, you guys will probably remember. Um, and then this year, his defense has been a little bit better, but just no power whatsoever. Right? Even though we did 
finally hit a home run this week, only his second one of the season. It's it's just strange. I mean, there's really nothing in his underlying. Just watching him every day, there's just not a whole lot of confidence in him snapping back into his old form. It really is a pretty big mystery about how he was hitting for great power uh, down the stretch in 2019, and that's what mm-hmm. the Marlins were banking on getting, and that has not come through. Um, for watching him every day, you know, an unfortunate thing that sticks out, I think more so than anybody else in baseball, that's not an exaggeration. I think more so than any other player in baseball, he disappoints with runners in scoring position. I mean, the overall numbers are kind of all right, you know, close to the league average as a player overall, but with runners in scoring position, he just consistently does not get the job done. And today I kind of sarcastically, I kind of tweeted out, that he got a run in because of an error by the Pirates when he was up at bat with a couple of runners on, potential double play ball that he hit or one that should have been an easy out, and they kind of lucked out to take the lead, and they didn't get that lead back. Uh, really, the only thing he has going for him is that he puts the ball in play. He is a good teammate, of course, um, and all that, but I just don't think he helps. I don't think any like contending team would want to actually play him in any sort of regular role. There's all that money that he's owed, even if the Marlins eat all the money. I just don't know if he has much positive trade value at the moment. So we'll see. You know, there's a long way to go until the deadline, but that's kinda, that's definitely what they're hoping for, is that there's some sort of resurgence and that something clicks in him because that has not been the case, you know, so far in his Marlins career. Yeah, I will say the whenever Corey Dickerson was on the Pirates, um, that I kind of like expected that that twenty home run guy, but I he I feel like he had a shift in approach where he used to be like you know a two sixty hitter where he'd hit twenty five or so home runs, but when he came to the Pirates, he just sold out completely for contact, and I mean he hit three hundred with the Pirates, which was nice, but yeah, the power was just sapped, and like you see it too his his two strike approach where it's like he chokes up halfway up the bat it's it's kind of funny to watch um, <laughs> on Moran I'll say this Jake you could uh you could tackle this too so with Colin Moran I mean I will say I've always been a Colin Moran hater but I have turned around and I do enjoy watching him play and like I kind of mentioned earlier it is nice to see an actual uh real life breathing first baseman that can hit <laughs> uh, this year I mean he is hitting He's hitting 297, 352, 468 with the 127 WRC plus. He's not great in the field. Um, he's decent. I just he's a decent first baseman and trade value wise. I mean, he's a free agent in 2024, so he does have some years of control. I mean, maybe a team needs a DH and mm-hmm. like or first baseman, but trade value wise, I just. They could definitely get something for him. I just I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be a ton. Uh, Jake, what do you think? Yeah, I I've been a Colin Moran fan since day one, and mm. I I don't think I know that's hard to think of because we traded away Garrett Cole for him, but I think he was a very promising guy. And considering the Pirates' organizational depth at first base isn't quite what we want it to be. I don't see us trying to get rid of Moran as soon as some people may think. Um, right. The only and there's a lot of good factors that go with Moran, such as his defense and his stick. But there's also a a few negative tangibles that people don't really approve of. One of them is his speed. He has no speed at all, and he his full on sprint looks like he's dogging it. I'm just going to put it out there like that. Dang. Uh, 
and I'm I'm just being truthful, just from what I'm seeing, and um, I don't think his trade value is necessarily high right now. And as Nathan mentioned, he still has years of control in his contract. I don't I think the Pirates. Are, that. I, I don't. I don't really think the Pirates are ready to ship him off just yet. Maybe once we get to maybe two years left, maybe one, or he's in his last year or something like that, we might see a little bit of trade talks because I think with the Will Craig experiment failing, but Mason mm-hmm. Martin promising to be a good. Uh, first baseman in the Pirates organization. I think that it's too scarce right now to really start considering deals for Moran. I think we're going to keep him around for a few more years, especially with his consistent offense. I think he's going to be part of the team for the next few years. Not, it's not you know not negative to say that he could be traded in the next few years. Maybe someone will you know reverse Archer us with Moran, but uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I don't think that we're going to get. I don't think we're going to start hearing offers from Moran here. Uh, in the coming in the in the new- okay um oh my bad Nathan um oh no go ahead go ahead um well number one I did not know Moran was gonna be a free agent until twenty twenty four that is news to me thank thank you Nathan and Jake for bringing that up I um I did not know that I thought he was a free agent closer but I guess that that just shows I don't follow the Pirates enough so that's a little wrong on my part but it's uh it's okay I mean you, you, <laughs> you live and you learn that's the blessing of being a nope being able to talk to people like y'all who follow uh, follow these teams, so so now I mean, okay, so now I think was, I think that was that was the only question I really had was really with Colin Moran. I thought he he was close to free agency. Apparently he's not. Apparently he's like really t- he's now he's like three years away instead of like a year or a year and a half away. So thank you for uh, bringing that to my attention. I, I definitely appreciate it. Jake. Well, 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 you know who's a guy that's kind of in that same situation, probably even more valuable to the Pirates than Moran, is Jacob Stallings. And he's a guy that, on Marlins Twitter, we're falling in love with him just because <laughs> that, that just speaks to how much of a mess Marlins' catching position has been, you know, the last couple of years. But I know he has a million years of control left in him and all that. Uh, is there any inkling that he's a guy that, that – is there any price that the Pirates would – be willing to accept on him at like coming up maybe not on the trade i'm sure that's probably a better question for like the off season than the trade deadline uh but i'm yeah i'm curious what you guys think about that because yeah, with the marlins they just are really in a bind with with that position you know right now and then for the foreseeable future because there's just not that many of those impact catchers that become available in free agency and the team just does not have any prospects that are anywhere like close to being uh, in the majors and coming up through their own system at the position. So they're just kind of grasping at any decent catcher that's out there on a potential selling team. Yeah. What, what's the situation with him and like how he fits with the pirates future? Yeah. The thing with Stallings, um, it's funny because he came up, he was not highly regarded. He is the true definition of a grinder. I'd say because he really did earn his current spot now. And, I like Stallings. I mean, once again, he's 31 right now, and he's a free agent in 2025, so it's going to be a while for him. If I was the Pirates, I would most definitely listen on Jacob Stallings if a team wants to kind of overpay a bit for that. I mean, he has been really good, uh, solid defense, and then if you get a WRC plus of 112 out of your catcher, I mean, you can't complain at all. He gets on base. He walks. um, He... He's just—he's a nice guy. I feel like to have in the clubhouse too. I feel like his teammates like him. Like Jake said, he has been clutch as hell this season. He's—he's uh, he's come up with many big hits, but 
I'm not sure. Uh, the thing with the Pirates, too, though, is besides Stallings, there is absolutely zero uh, catching catching depth whatsoever. So if they trade him, I mean, it's it's going to be Michael Perez for the whole season, which hasn't been a great experience so far. So I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, if I'm if I'm the GM, anyone's on the table. If I get my uh, if I get blown away with an offer, I'm trading him. But I I don't think this season. You said maybe in the off season um, they could they can listen on. But I'm not sure. But Jake, what do you think? I I think we could actually start listening to deals on him because looking at the catching prospects that we have coming up, we if we're still in the rebuilding process where we're not expected to win for a few years. I would take maybe a season of Michael Perez and then maybe get some of the guys in AAA, maybe even AA up because I'm looking at who we have down the pipeline. And right now, Joe Hudson has been pretty good for us, at least from what I saw in spring training. And from what, I, from what I'm hearing in AAA, he's not that bad. You look at AA, Arden Pabst is coming out of the woodwork. He's been hitting a ton. He's been throwing out runners at second like no man's business. So I think we have some depth that we can. And then, well, let's not forget about the elephant in the room with Andy Rodriguez down there in uh, low A, I think it is. But uh, we have formidable catching prospects coming up. So I think if the – I don't say we give him away for, you know, relatively cheap. I'm not saying he's on a clearance rack. But what I'm saying is – if there is a good offer that comes our way for Jacob Stallings, say there is a team that's on the brink of contention and they need a clutch catcher who is good defensively and can get things going offensively, I think Stallings is your guy, and I think they can start listening to offers on him. And I think we'll be protected by the young talent we have down the down on the farm with uh, catching-wise. Uh, Michael Perez, obviously, is not part of the long-term future. Part of me uh, actually sees us having a platoon of catchers uh, featuring Andy Rodriguez and Arden Paps in the MLB. Um, I, I'm dead serious. I'm sold on Arden Paps. That guy, I watched him a few years ago down in Altoona when he was first getting up there, and then now this season he's hitting a ton. I think we're safe, so I think if we have – I would say it's the green light to start listening to offers on Stallings. Um, it's unfortunate. I loved watching him play, but, I mean, I think we have enough depth. We have way more depth than we do at first base, so I think affording us a few offers would be – I think it's I think it's very reasonable, especially in the near future. Uh, for uh, for a brink of contention team that would offer the right price for him, uh, so I'm going to go with yes. I say we should start listening to offers on him because I think we got some good protection down the line with our Eli. I'll ask you this: We'll give you uh, Jacob Stallings for Sixto Sanchez straight up. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sore spot right now because we haven't gone into this, but Sixto's status is starting to raise some eyebrows. Yeah, he I suffered see that. like this really minor injury. Um, he was supposed to, it was options out of spring training because it wasn't fully stretched out to be a starter yet. And he was supposed to join the rotation early in the year. And then one of his final tune-ups at their alternate training site, he gets a minor shoulder issue. He starts throwing, uh, starts a throwing program like in mid April, uh, almost two months ago. And he just has not made much progress at all on that throwing program. And now recently, like totally pausing that to begin with, I, uh, this is something that we discussed on Fish Stripes and on my podcast, how it's just shaping up to be a really lost season for him. Like, best case scenario, maybe he is ready to be in the rotation again in late July. That's what we're talking about, where at this point, you know, two-thirds of the season will probably be gone before he gets called up. And it's kind of, it's really screwed up his whole trajectory, and it's raising some eyebrows because we're not getting a clear answer from the team about, you know, whether he's aggravated the injury or what exactly 
is the problem. But I mean, under normal circumstances, I love the guy. Um, I, I it was such a pleasure to watch him, not even in in the majors, but actually in Double A in 2019. I watched so many of those outings, and it's clear just how much pitchability he has. It's not just the raw stuff, but a guy that really knows how to pitch and is uh, such a joy to watch. So efficient with his pitches that he's going to be uh, he's going to be a great starting pitcher as long as he's healthy. And that's been the question, you know, throughout his minor league career. And that's the question now. And they're really missing him right now, you know, to stabilize the back end of their rotation and to bring some enthusiasm. Because right now, you know, the guy that's kind of doing all the heavy lifting in that enthusiasm department, it's been Jazz Chisholm Jr. And it's been a little bit of Starling and a little bit of Jesus Aguilar and on their pitchers. But they, they Sixto is the guy that, you know, if we started – 2021 he was the guy they pointed to as the potential face of the franchise and it's been it's been a big bummer you know for everybody to have him missing but i mean of course i mean i'm who am i talking to i'm talking to guys that spent most of this year without cabrian hayes and yeah. you know exactly how that feels to have such a key piece that's been missing and that is so important to evaluate at the major league level so yeah it's something that marlins fans should be complaining about more than any other team but it's that's kind of been a big story this whole season. It's just all these injuries to all these dynamic young players. Yeah, for everyone, too. You know, I will say this about Sanchez. I personally am very sad about his uh, his availability because I drafted him in fantasy. So yeah. That- yeah, you're not alone. You're not, I remember the conversation. <laughs> I'm not a huge fantasy guy, but I just yeah. remember the conversations in, the, in spring training about kind of him and Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez all kind of all being, you know, head-to-head and head, which one of those guys is going to be the most valuable over the course of this season? Like, that was a very legitimate question, is which of those guys is going to have the best overall season? They they all do a lot of good things, and we so far this year, both Sandy and Pablo have been almost exactly what the Marlins would have hoped for this year um, in their age 25 seasons, and, and the fact that 6-0 has been nothing. It's It's been a big bummer for the year, for sure. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap things up here real quick, I'm just going to look at the upcoming schedules for both of these teams. It's funny. The Marlins have the random Monday makeup game at Boston before uh, they have to go, and they'll host Colorado for three and then Atlanta for three. So they should be able to handle Colorado. I will say that the Pirates were able to handle them last weekend. So they should Wait, be good. Um, Nathan, is that series with um, the Marlins against the Rockies, is that in – was that in Miami or was that, that in Colorado? In Miami. Yeah, the Marlins yeah. had a six-game. Then, then, yeah, the Marlins should handle the Rockies because the Rockies, they, they're they not very good on the road. Right. That's, yeah, as an understatement, man. I mean, they, I was, they're on I pace. To be modest, <laughs> you know, I was trying to be modest, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Martin. I cut you off there. I just had to I like this guy. I like yeah. Garrett. Yeah. Uh, and then the Pirates, their schedule, not so easy. They will host the Dodgers for three. And actually, it's it's kind of rough here for the Pirates for a little bit. They host the Dodgers for three. And then they go to Milwaukee, then to Washington. And then they come back and they get the Indians, who aren't, like, super great, but they're better than the Pirates. And then they host uh, the White Sox for two. That's a, another hard team. And then they go to St. Louis. So the rest of this month, the Pirates will probably, if, if you guys bet, uh, the Pirates will probably be underdogs in every single one of those games, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm really dreading the series of the Dodgers. The only thing I'm happy about is that we get the back end of the rotation. I think the hardest what we have to face is 
uh, probably Walker Bueller. I don't think Trevor Bauer pitched today, so we don't have to worry about him. I don't. I looked at the probables. I don't think Kershaw is listed as one of them. So that Kershaw, makes me happy. Kershaw pitched. Uh, he pitched yesterday, I think. So y'all, y'all probably might miss Kershaw too. Oh, nice. thank God. So we got a we got a bit of a grace period with that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy with that, and um, hopefully we can see some promising things out of the Pirates, even if we don't end up on the winning side here in the near future. Hopefully we do see some promise. Hopefully Phil, Phil Evans is coming back soon, and he can take over for Eric Gonzalez, who has just been a, a liability on defense and offense, really. So I think if he comes back, I think we'll look a little little sharper, even if we don't win, you know. Uh, win them for sure for sure yeah uh bueller will be tough he's also on my fantasy team so i'm looking forward to that for me personally but yeah he's on your fantasy team? yeah i got i got bueller i do he's on, he's on mine too he's on mine he's been all right he's been all right uh, hey wednesday. he's been solid for me yeah yeah he's been pretty good uh wednesday it, on espn they don't really they don't have a listed starter for the pirates i mean for the dodgers um the Pirates don't have a listed starter for t- uh, Tuesday, but uh, the Pirates still have Mitch Keller listed for Thursday, and he went on the COVID aisle, so we'll see what happens there. And then Julio uh, Uri- hmm, Urias? Urias? It's tough to say. Uri- don't feel bad. You're not the only Urias? one. I'm terrible with names. I will say that. But I- <laughs> don't feel bad. You're not the only one. Yeah. It'll be a tough series for sure for the Pirates. I think that's a good... Uh, place to wrap things up. Eli, where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, yeah, I mean, I got my fingerprints all over Fish Stripes. So if you search for Fish Stripes on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, um, obviously our website, fishstripes.com, ha- has everything. But me personally, uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Real Eli, spelled E L Y at, at the ends. So you can get some of my personal thoughts there. Um, it takes. Yeah. Covering uh yeah, covering this Marlins team, I feel like uh, in a creative way more so than other people, and uh, we have a lot of fun doing it right now. We uh, yeah, we do plenty of our own podcasting. Fish stripes, search for fish stripes podcast wherever you get it. I actually have to record a portion of that to go up tomorrow uh, about the state of the Marlins. So yeah, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. And uh, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys bringing me on. Mm-hmm.